The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. We are deep in the middle of draft season at this point, uh, roughly a month away from the draft itself, if I recall correctly. So, you know, EJ and I, we're, we're starting to wrap up all the prospects we need to in terms of, you know, getting together grades and rankings, and we're going to start releasing those uh friday so you know kind of hold tight for those they're coming very very soon uh you know we're, we're deep into pro day season almost done with pro day season at this point actually so uh we are full steam ahead to the draft could not be more excited it's it's probably the, my favorite time of the year personally but uh before we get into uh tonight's episode ej buddy how you doing and uh what are you drinking tonight I'm good. I'm excited. I'm starting to get excited. Uh, like a month ago, it was still just grind, grind, grind. Felt a lot more like work for for as much as this ever feels like work. Uh, but now I'm I feel like I've got a handle enough on the class. I don't know if you're you're to that point or not, where you can start to think about the exciting part for me, which is where they all fit. A little bit of draft strategy. What do teams start to need? I, I feel like I have a enough grasp of the raw material that's available to the league that uh it starts to get fun now and you can start comparing players and we're going to do that tonight but uh as i have more film to watch tonight i am seltzer again i'm mr boring during draft season um did you make anything special or are you too working late after this i i made myself coffee so i could work late but it's very <laughs> special coffee you know we got we got some bush mills in there oh very you nice know, so it's spicy coffee i guess we spicy. could say for the children listening at home. Yeah, we got a very interesting episode for you tonight. This is the other guys of the 2022 NFL draft, meaning uh, if you miss out on the one you really want, who are the other guys in that profile? Um, it's a concept we've wanted to do for a while, and we are now just finally getting to it, uh, you know, as we kind of round the corner into the home stretch of draft season. I do want to take a moment and thank our new patrons for this week. We've got Michelle, Michael, Charlie, Brody, Andrew, Joel, Gabriel, Shane, Ethan, Rick, and Chris. We got a lot of them this week uh, that have all joined up on the Patreon. Uh, Patreon, excuse me. 
probably you know looking forward to getting those position rankings that we're putting out on Friday morning for the tackle class, the tight end class, and the receiver class. Those are all the position groups that EJ and I have finished so far. And then we're going to be coming fast and furious the following week. So remember, if you are a patron, you're going to get access to those on the Bootleg Football Podcast Patreon. You're also going to get merch discounts uh, of 20% over on the BFP store. You know, you're going to get access to like when we do the, you know, the the patron only Q&As, a whole bunch of stuff comes with the BFP Patreon. So thank you to all those people that supported us this week. Uh, we're going to start it off with uh, James Cook, who's, you know, one of the darlings of this running back class, especially among, you know, people that love running backs that can catch. Cook is kind of seen as like the quintessential third down back in this class. You know, a guy that can immediately come in and contribute to rotation. Uh, obviously, he can do early down work too, but really the fact that he has that three down versatility is what makes him likely going to be a top 100 pick. You know, he's going to go somewhere on day two. Who would you say, in your opinion, if you miss out on James Cook, is the other James Cook? Yeah, this one came to me later. Uh, Mostly, again, when I was looking at physical profiles, but this is a guy we're familiar with. We've seen him up close. He was at the Shrine Bowl. This is Ty Chandler from North Carolina. And the average draft position for James Cook as of this recording is about 82. That's his average place where he gets picked is the 82nd slot in the draft. The average draft position for Ty Chandler is 100 picks later at 179. When you look at these guys' RAS profiles, and if you want to do that, you can go to RAS Football, check it out, click on the compare feature, and literally just type in James Cook in the first slot. Tyler Chandler in the second slot and from the drop down, select running back and hit compare and you will see their numbers side by side. And this is one of those where these this is the same shell. These are two of the same guys. They are the same size. They are the same weight. They are the same speed. And speed is a thing with Cook that attracts a lot of people, especially folks. People just fall for running back speed all the time. It's like quarterbacks with big arms, right? If a running back is fast, they love him. And Cook is really fast. Well, Ty Chandler is actually a little bit faster. Uh, Just a tiny bit. But again, good pass catcher. Really good runner. Very productive in a major program. This isn't a projection player in Ty Chandler or somebody that was hurt. Uh, He did transfer into UNC for his final year, but he had a very productive year in a major program. He was Sam Howell's running back. Um, so this isn't a question of like, oh, well, you know, he's coming back from an injury and we think he could be James Cook. Like he's as fast as James Cook. He catches as well as James Cook. He's the same size as James Cook. He played in a conference pretty much as big as James Cook. Like this is one of those where you're looking at it and you're like, if you miss out on James Cook, relax, Ty Chandler will be there later and you can get him for a huge draft savings. I, I don't have, uh, you know, picks of my own for every single, you know, guy on this on, on this episode because some of them I felt like you kind of nailed and I couldn't do any better than that. My other James Cook, and I, I can even say my other Ty Chandler, if you mess out on both of them, who are you going to get? Is going to be <laughs> Zaquandre Wright, or White, not Wright. I, I always yeah. mess that up. Um, but Zaquandre White from South Carolina, who barely has had any career touches. I I mean, in terms of like the relative scale of like usage, he has infinite tread left on his tires. He was barely used, but he's incredibly physically gifted. And I, 
I know the receiving tape isn't there compared to the other guys. But when you look at what he did in all-star practices down in Mobile, you know, when he was having to go one-on-one up against linebackers and safeties in those drills, he was shredding everybody. He was catching the ball really, really well. Again, you could not tell me that he had barely played, you know, offense, let alone barely played running back. Like, it was pretty impressive to me how refined he looked as a receiver just in those practices. Because, again, we know he doesn't have a whole lot of tape in actual games doing it. Uh, And you're going to get him super late on day three. Like, he's going to be a six-round pick, probably. But he's incredibly physically gifted. One of the freakiest athletes at running back in this whole class. And I just, I think there's... There's so much untapped potential there that if you miss out on, you know, the, what's the word, uh, predictably refined James Cook, you know, mm-hmm. if you miss out on Ty Chandler and you just want to get a lotto ticket super late in this draft, I think Saquandre White from South Carolina finally, finally nailed that last name. Uh, yeah. That's that's going to be your guy. Yeah. Quan White's current ADP is 245. So, so that's he is- early seven. He's yeah, he's right at the end of the draftable range. There are 260 some odd picks in this draft. So he's he's right there at sort of the top of the seventh. He was the guy I thought of first. This is where, again, we haven't talked about this, but where we kind of share a brain. And the only reason I didn't put him up is because he didn't test super well. He didn't test nearly as fast as he plays on the field, because if you look at the tape, Again, he's he's against. one of the guys where I'm trusting the GPS data on that. Oh, one. <laughs> yeah. He runs away from people on yeah. tape all the time. And I think he ran he ran really slowly comparative to his tape. If you look at his tape, this guy's fast. He's every bit as fast as James Cook or Ty Chandler, but he didn't test that way. So I was like, meh. And then I got to Ty Chandler's both physical profile and testing, and it was so lockstep with Cooks that I picked him. But in reality... Quan White is a whole nother, not 100 picks, but 70 picks later, even than Ty Chandler, and has, you know, gas for days and really good tape against high quality opponents, even if there isn't a lot of it. Yeah, I just, 215, somebody who moves like that against Georgia, you know, outrunning Georgia linebackers that are all running 4 4. Like, again, I, I understand what the 40 was but like the the gps and the tape kind of it's very much like richard LeCount last year and it's a very similar argument that people are using for kyle hamilton this year where it's like Mm -hmm. i understand he timed it you know four seven at his pro day but look at that pick first fsu like he clearly Mm -hmm. has juice and there's there's merit to that type of argument i we'll get to kyle hamilton later trust me but um (laughs) There are some guys where you just kind of throw out the stopwatch a little bit, and I think Quan White's one of them. Uh, talk to me about Chris Olave. Who is your your other Chris Olave if you happen to miss out on him or really either of the Ohio State receivers early on? Yeah, and Olave is projected to go second um, of the two Ohio State receivers very, very fast and plays all over the field, has played outside on both sides, has played slot, Um Jet sweeps in the backfield. And this spread is not as much. So Olave's current ADP is 20. They have him as a first rounder. A lot of people will say, oh, that's not going to happen. I actually don't think Olave probably gets out of the first round just because of 
a run on wide receivers. I know you posted your over under on Twitter for wide receivers the other day. That um, five and a half, by the way, like I, I struggled with it. I was like, a, I can, I can see five. I can see eight. It's a perfect, <laughs> it's a perfect spread line, right? Because yeah. it is right in the middle. But I, I think it'll go over because a little bit like we're used to seeing quarterback runs. And we may not see that this year because of the overall strength of the class. Quarterbacks will still get picked, but not in the same way. But wide receiver might replace quarterback is the position where the run goes off and somebody goes i'm not waiting and that ends up and it ends up being seven and if it's seven olave goes off the board without question in my mind so the spread is only 45 slots but 45 slots is a round and a half at the top of the draft so we're talking about late first to sort of middle of the third um and that's john mechie from alabama He's at 65 right now, so he's 45 slots below Olave and offers a lot of the same refinement, ability to play all over the field, good hands, good routes, plenty of uh, physical skill. Is he as fast as Olave? If he's 100% healthy, not quite, I don't think, but is he a whole lot slower? No, he's maybe a tenth slower. Olave is clearly in the four three category. I'd bet Mechie runs a high four four, uh, maybe a mid four four. I, I very curious to see what he times because I could not figure out his speed on tape. Like there were some plays where it's like, okay, he separated on the deep post, but it's one of those where it's like, I can't tell how much of that is just because of like the ball leading him inside and he has good ball tracking ability or he just legitimately has gas. And there were some plays where I'm like, okay, like DB took his arm away. Like now's the time to go. Time to like, go. <laughs> and and he didn't. And I'm like, I don't know how fast you are. <laughs> yeah, but he's not slow. I think we he's can not agree slow, that he's but... not one of those guys that's going to run a 4.6 or a 4.65. He's not like... David Bell. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> I was being kind. Anyways, <laughs> so Mechie's only 45 slots behind, but in draft terms, that's a big deal because of the 45 slots. It's not the same as the difference between somebody that's sitting at 100 and somebody that's sitting at 150. That's a lesser difference. The top slots are worth a lot more. The draft value curve drops off significantly after about the middle of the second round. So those those are high value slots and 45 of them add up pretty quickly. That's a significant draft savings and not too much of a drop off in the player. Now, would I rather have Olave or Mechie? I would rather have Olave. If I'm a wide receiver poor team like the Bears, I would be plenty happy with John Mechie in my receiving room because he's a really talented dude, again, that played at a Top ranked pro, the top ranked program, maybe had a ton of productivity. This again, this guy is not a projection in any way. I I think he is one of those receivers where it's like he's going to show up day one. He's going to be ready to play day one. You you don't feel nervous about putting him on the field. You know, if somebody gets hurt and he's your wide receiver four, and you say, okay, John, get in there. Like you're not you're not nervous about it. But I also feel like he's going to be the exact same player in year five that he is in year one. So that's it's like, totally possible. If you want a veteran receiver who's like not incredible, but also like will be completely stable for you from day one, like John Mechie's your guy. And and honestly, there's a lot of players like that in the league that play a long time because 
coaches know what you're going to get, you know? So I, I think, I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of merit to guys like him. Personally, I have him, you know, because that top end upside isn't quite the same as a lot of the other ones. I have him a little bit lower. And if I was going to, you know, do like an other Chris Olave, I'd probably look, you know, kind of like at Bo Melton myself, who, I, you know, he was one of my, my gems on offense in the last episode because he like very clearly has the gas that Chris Olave does. Like they're both super, super fast. Uh, they can both separate deep down the field. Uh, Melton's a really good route runner. I don't necessarily think that he is as consistent as Mechie. You know, some he gets a little spastic sometimes, I would say. Uh, but I think if he goes to a good wide receiver coach that can maximize his natural gifts, he could very, very much be, again, another guy that's going to go like later on day two. But if you're missing out on that first one of wide receivers and you just you need to get a guy, it's like just get one in the building because we can't go into day three. You know, when 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 all the weapons are depleted, we got to get one now looking at you, Cowboys. I think Bo Melton is going to be in high demand. I also want to do honorary mention here. Um, I, I didn't want to overload too much with receivers, but if you miss out on Traylon Burks, and I think we can argue the the phrasing of miss out on Traylon Burks. Right. Depends um, a lot. But if you're, if you're high on Traylon Burks and you don't get Burks, and you're looking for another 6'3", 225 to 230 pound receiver that runs 4-3, has a 39 and a half vert, a 10-7 broad, and put up 19 on the bench. You're going to say, Brett, those don't exist. And I'm going to say, ah, very few of them exist. But one of them is at Idaho State. And it's Tanner Connor, who we talked about a couple months ago at Shrine Bowl. He finally had his pro day today uh, at UW for UW's pro day because he's a local product out of uh, out of the Seattle area. So they let him do his pro day with all the UW kids and he put on a show and we knew he was athletic, but to see it confirmed of like, Hey, this dude is a damn near tight end sized wide receiver that runs sub four, four jumps out the gym. I think if you, if you just want a big athletic receiver that you can mold and you're not getting Traylon Burks, you might as well go get white Traylon Burks, which is Tanner Connor. Yeah, we're big up to Tanner. He had a great day. We talked about him uh, at Shrine Bowl. We talked with him at Shrine Bowl about his testing and how he thought he was going to test. And he was pretty confident he was going to go under 4-4. And, you know, timing... It is different. All these guys are training. All these guys are getting practice times. He, he was pretty sure that he was going to do that. But, you know, jitters on the big day, different track, whatever. I said, look, if you run under 445, like if you run mid 44s, you're going to be one of like four guys at your size for wide receiver that have run under 44. And he was like, really? And yeah. I was like, yeah, and you can name some of the other ones, right? Megatron's one of them. DK is one of them, right? And the other one's Doriel Green Beckham. Um, and he's like, yeah, that's pretty crazy to think about. And he looked at me in all seriousness and said, but I'm going to run faster than that. <laughs> and I was like, I, 
I actually bet you will. I mean, there's there's a lot of bravado in football players, but there was no bravado behind this at all. And he ran four three seven hand time today. We don't have official times yet, but um, the slow time was four four two, which still puts him comfortably under that four four five mark. Uh, big fast guy with a ton of physical potential. Not small either. Like not, he's very solidly built. Um, track guy, football guy, weight loves loves lifting weights. Uh, like you said, 19 reps on the bench. This is not a slight guy, uh, just a runner that's putting a helmet on. Like he's a guy that can go out and and take some physical punishment on the football field. We'll see. Somebody's going to take a chance on him just after that pro day showing today, uh, at minimum as a special teamer in the late rounds. Because again, you put that guy out at gunner, and he's going to be a handful for smaller defensive backs to try and you know slow down going down the field. So and we saw um, the Cowboys working him out at tight end, by the way everybody's saying tight end. Everybody said move tight end. Even at Shrine Bowl, that was the whisper. Oh, man, he's 230. Give him give him 10 more pounds and put him at tight end. I actually have a theory about that, and I don't, I don't think tight end is his deal, and I don't think it has to be. I think big slot is his deal, and big slot's a thing in the league now. You don't need to really try and make him block. There's enough standard three-wide receiver set that if you put a guy that's 6'3", 230, that runs a 4'3", whatever – He's a problem. He can block as a wide receiver blocks on run plays and does. He does that on tape. Um, but you put a slot defender on like there's not a lot of linebackers that run true 4-4 flat, which is about what you'd need to run to cover him. And many of them are smaller these days, right? There, There's a lot of guys that are six foot, six one, who are two. 20 like Mm -hmm. you're giving up two inches and 10 pounds to this guy and you're slower yeah um i think big slot is where he can really leverage his abilities and i'm i'm not so intent on like hey we need to we need to slide you inside put you in line have you drop your butt and try and hold off defensive ends i really don't think that's his game and i think he has plenty to give um lining up in that either tight slot or or true slot alignment and just you know, learning releases and abusing people with speed and size. Yeah. He's uh, one of the more fascinating prospects in this class. And I have absolutely no idea where he's going to go. <laughs> it's going to be no poker clue. in the late yeah. rounds. Tanner, Con- the Tanner Connor watch is going to be poker. Yeah. Who's going to flinch first? Who wants the, who wants the big fast guy? And what are you going to do with them? He's going to be a Seahawk. Let's be real. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Especially we'll see. if they trade DK. They're gonna be like, oh, if you just get another 6'3, 225 that runs, yeah. Oh man, you just had to, didn't you? I had to. You had to. Uh, let's get to uh, speaking of UW, uh, K Dot, who's you know, uh, a tight end that I think has been a little bit forgotten about. Is is that fair to say, uh, in terms of this class? Like, even though he was hyped up quite a bit going into this year, I I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I have even heard his name said, you know, in the last couple months on draft Twitter. But uh, I think he's a very intriguing prospect that is almost a lock to go by the end of the comp picks in the third round. Yeah, I would agree. And if you looked nine months ago, you would have called us crazy for saying that he wasn't going to be probably the first or second tight end selected. He was preseason all everything he was preseason all pac 12 he was preseason i think he was preseason all american um 
you know, very much at the end of last season. Okay, he's coming back. He's not coming out. He's he's automatically one of the top seeds of tight end. Him and him and Ruckert really um, were the two names of okay, they're going back, but that means they're sort of automatically going to seed the top of the next tight end class. Well, you know, best laid plans. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, you know, injury <laughs> late in the process. Uh, didn't have the most productive year, but UW's quarterbacking and offense in general wasn't super stable. You still see the ability on tape. This is a player out of local player, Tom Water, down in Olympia. And, uh, you know, had some experience at quarterback, moved to tight end as he got bigger. Still very athletic, good catching the ball, but blocks, like really blocks. Had some great reps when they played Michigan against uh, Hutchinson and Ajabo on both sides. Really, you know, he got taken advantage of a little bit, but he gave as good as he got in that game. And I think that attracted a lot of scouts to him as, hey, this is a true two-way player. Those are two, probably, you know, again, if Ajaba doesn't get injured, two first-round picks, and he's holding them off, and he's going to need to do that in the pros, and he can. Hey, and he's fluid. He gives you a real sort of big receiver vibe in the in the field. So you wouldn't expect that we'd be talking about him, but a little bit of an injury, lower production. His current ADP is 105. And I think mm-hmm. that's maybe a little bit undervalued, but given where he's at in the process, I think it's pretty fair. So if you don't get in on him, because there's probably two, maybe three tight ends that go before him. So if you're sort of looking for that TE2 and you, you're thinking, ah, Otten, and you get pipped team, you know, right before you picks Kate Otten. Now, now what are you going to do? Well, strangely enough, there's another guy that got injured early (laughs) in this season that had a ton of hype coming into the year. And that's James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. And currently because he had almost no stats this year, he was hurt in uh, like week two. Yeah, Yeah. first or third game, I thought. We'll just split the difference, call it week two. Um, But ended up with a knee injury and uh, didn't play this season. So again, kind of the forgotten guy. but you go back and look at his tape from last year and it is all there. This guy is an absolute dog. He, that was the first thing is when I was watching his tape from, uh, 2020, he is equal as a blocker. And there aren't many in this class. There are a few Trey McBride could, could claim that, uh, for sure. And, you know, Otten and then like Mitchell, those are the, those are the guys that can really move people, show leverage, show high effort down after down. And then Mitchell, when he gets, when he gets his hands on the ball is really fun. The game I watched, he had a rushing touchdown. They put him in the back backfield as an H back, took a handoff, got a rushing touchdown in the red zone, had a receiving touchdown. Um, doesn't have great receiving stats, but I think that's more offense. You can again think about Kittle at Iowa, right? Had receiving skills, didn't have didn't have a lot of receiving opportunity. Now, is Mitchell Kittle? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> There's like three people on planet Earth that are Kittle, <laughs> right? So if you miss out on Kate Otten and James Mitchell's recovery is going well, which it looks like it is, I don't think he's going to get to run though because he didn't mm-hmm. run at the combine. Uh, I believe, yeah, they already had their pro day because Brock Hoffman had his pro day. Um, I don't think we're going to get official running numbers. And guys like that are always just a question mark for teams. They might run if they go on visits, if they're healed enough. If he's one of those guys that's going to be penciled in like, hey, I'll be good to go for rookie minicamp or I'll be good to go for OTAs. 
it drops your stock in that 228 of ADP. Literally a hundred and almost 30 choices later, lower than Otten. And you're getting a player that's very similar on both the blocking side and the receiving side. Love James Mitchell. If he's healthy, I'm absolutely taking a chance on him in later rounds. And honestly, if I've got the extra pick and I need a TE2, I'd be I'd be really happy with Kate Otten. He did not run today at UW's Pro Day. I asked somebody that was there. Uh, he did some walkthroughs and did a little bit of positional work. Yeah, he's, and, and he's still not ready. This person said there were a couple times he like saddled up to the line like he was gonna do a drill and then backed off. So he's he's getting close, but he's not ready yet. And again, that really hurts your stock. Teams want that. They just want to see it. They want the verification. Yeah. yeah, he can run. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, the leg works. And neither of these guys is going to get that, and it's going to drop the stock a little bit. I would say for mine, and I I have uh, somebody who, I, again, because of the injuries, I have no idea what the spread between my guy and, and Mitchell or Otten would be. But I'm a big fan of uh, Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State, who, again, another kind of in-line, tight end, 6'5", 250, um, you know, explosive for that size, you know, low 4'6 speed, had like 35-inch on the vert. Like, he's a very, very good athlete who also happens to, you know, show some nastiness as a blocker, as an in-line tight end. That seems to be a very hard profile to find these days because a lot of tight ends that are explosive – they use them as big slots. They don't leave them in line anymore because they they want to they want to use that explosiveness in the receiving game. And so, you know, when you stumble on a Jelani Woods who played a lot in line, when you stumble on a Bellinger who played or, or Otten or any of these guys, it's almost like you're seeing like a unicorn by today's standards because it's like, oh my God, they actually let him play Y. You know, they didn't just use him as a slot. So I think that they're there's a good smattering of those guys in this class more than I'm used to seeing probably just because there's so many people in this class period. Um, but if you miss out on Otten, if you miss out on Mitchell, if you miss out on, I don't know, the first eight or nine tight ends that, that, that could potentially profile that way. Uh, I think Bellinger from San Diego state is somebody who's going to go again on day three and potentially provide all three downs of value for whatever offense he's in. Yeah, his current ADP is 205. So he's right down in the Mitchell range. Mitchell's 228. Um, and again, these aren't exact numbers. So he's he's closer to Mitchell than he is to Otten. Um, but about that's you know, the one theme, by the way, is nobody knows where any of these tight ends are going. Everybody has them stacked differently. A hundred percent. I was talking about this on Twitter and that it really comes down to roles and the roles aren't, it used to be one role was all I can do is block and he can't catch. I, those are the guys I can't find in this draft uh, that are just, you know, because everybody's bringing in a sixth offensive lineman and they probably mm -hmm. should. And Hey, throw him a touchdown, you know, thick six is a thing. Um, but you know, you get these, these players that can do both. Uh, the Ottens of the world, the, the James Mitchells of the world. And like Trey McBride is another player that can do both very well. Um, then you get the ones you were talking about that are very good receivers uh, and block a little bit. That means in my mind, they can angle block, they can get in the way, but they're, they're not really moving anybody. And if they're 
playing against a really skilled defender, they're they're going to get moved around in ways that you typically don't want them to get moved around. Um, and that's guys like Greg Dulcich from UCLA, who is incredibly fast, very tall, a huge seam threat. He's not a threat as a blocker, but he does try. Um, uh, Nevada's got one. Same thing. Cole Turner, big, tall, crazy athletic, can make some diving snags for you. And he'll try. Like he, he'll try. And, and Bellinger, I would put in that category. Very smooth as a receiver. Shows some some real try. You know, maybe if he gets with a great offensive line slash tight end coach, he becomes a better blocker because physically it's there. He's got size. He's got strength. But he's in that sort of middle category. And then you've got this category of tight end in name only, which is <laughs> these guys that you said are receivers who might try to block, but are really terrible at it. Um, and the big one for me and and big is multiply, multiply stated here is Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. He's 6'6". He has a ton of receiving yards. He is... He is rough as a blocker. He is not good at it. He he doesn't really understand leverage. He, he tries, but he very rarely even impedes the guy he's blocking. And a lot yeah. of times he ends up on the ground. Just um, radiates Kobe Fleener energy. Yeah. Yeah, very similar. And the other guy is Isaiah Likely. And he sort of straddles the line for me because he's good at one type of blocking. And that is leading sweeps, because I said earlier this week that Isaiah likely was a hopeless blocker and somebody said, no, he's not. And I said, OK, like, where is he not a hopeless blocker? And I went back to the tape and it's on leading sweeps when he is pulling across the formation and he gets out in front. He will annihilate the cornerback. He's yeah, that's really, why he's probably an H back. He's really good at that outside in line, but it's like. That's a very narrow slice of blocking. If he is in line and trying to stop a pass rusher, even if he is trying to get to the second level on like a zone run play from the inside, he'll get a hand on the guy, but he he doesn't even really get in his way. The one time you will see likely show up in blocking is that lead to the outside on a wide sweep. And he will. There's two uh, that I can think of where he just blew the cornerback open. And then um, our guy, Shamar Jones, ended up taking uh taking the score long down the sideline but any kind of what you would consider traditional blocking in an offense uh-uh likely he's not that guy is he a receiver he's a really good receiver um but that's the kind of three categories does both really good receiver and kind of gets in the way of blocking or has a lot of receiving yards but don't ask them to block anybody if you care about the result right and <laughs> those are the three categories for me so uh, but tight ends a mess top to bottom this year. We're going to see a, a really wide variation in value because everybody wants something different and there's so many flavors. It's a really deep class. Let's get to offensive tackle now. Uh, Abraham Lucas made a lot of waves at the combine for how he tested in terms of, you know, athletic profiles. RAS was super high. It was like mid nine fives. It's from Washington State, which unfortunately recently does not have a very good track record of putting out well-rounded offensive linemen in the league, which might work against him a little bit, but mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, but he is 6'6", 315 with massive hands, you know, sub 540, um, you know, decent enough three cone at like 725. Like he's got legitimately great testing numbers and, I think that 
you you have to believe in your offensive line coach to get that you know run game aspect out of him as a pass protector i don't really have any any worries like he he'll survive in the league for pass protection but um, I've never met an offensive line coach that was okay with his guys not being able to run block and move people. So that is that might be a, a little bit of an early barrier for him actually getting on the field. But if you miss out on Abraham Lucas, that you know twitched up, unrefined prospect, I'll say, who's your other Abraham Lucas? Strangely enough, also out of the Pac-12, and I think your description of Lucas is spot on. He, again preseason all-america list guy to watch huge athletic pass protector his run blocking is better than you think but that was the book going into senior bowl and senior bowl is a high profile bright lights event and lucas got rolled a couple times in pass pro at senior bowl which was supposed to be his bag right that's yeah. your bag baby you're you're athletic you're you know you've got a million pass pro reps coming out of washington state under your belt and you step up in the end zone that that hot bright light end zone at the, at the senior bowl and get absolutely bowled over by power a couple of times now again ability to match ability to mirror hand usage all good somebody comes right for your chest and he got rolled a couple times and it was it was tough that was a a stain on the stock but if you go back to the tape again everything you said is true tall long reach hands good mirror ability really athletic for his size so people believe and his run blocking is a little bit better than people thought it's not great he gets in the way he gets in the way <laughs> but people are like oh he's hopeless as a run blocker whereas some other people in this class are hopeless as a run blocker, but because they came from a different area of the country or a different program, they're like, oh, they must be a good run blocker. And you're like, have you watched your tape? They're actually not. <laughs> so if you miss out on Lucas staying in the Pac-12, but only kind of not really because of the transfer portal, you get Kellen Deesh from Arizona State. Guy we saw down at Shrine Bowl, and I thought, mm, he can't be 300 pounds. And it was a little bit like a guy we saw the year before at the Senior Bowl. Uh, turns out he is. He's 307. Definitely has that basketball background. Same thing. Athletic. Big frame. 6'6". Long arms. And if you watch on tape, just doesn't get beat a lot. Absorbs and absorbs and absorbs. Doesn't lock out a ton, but can. Uh, and is a very similar pass protector. Again, a bit like Isaiah Likely. On the move... He is hell as a run blocker, not as a drive blocker in line, not a gap man power scheme. This That's not his game. But you get him on a tackle pull, which ASU did a bunch, he's looking for somebody to just behead um, mm -hmm. and often does. Uh, his stock was pretty low before the Shrine Bowl. And the reason I said only kind of sort of for the Pac-12 is this is a Texas A&M guy. Mm -hmm. Right, He was at Texas A&M for two, three years, and then he transferred for his last year to ASU, ended up starting at left tackle. Probably a really good move for him. But I think if you take Kellen Deesh's tape and you paint a maroon helmet on it, he gets a lot more buzz. Yep. There's no way he's not in the top 100 if you look at what he did on the field. It was quiet because he was with the Sun Devils. If he had been with the Aggies, this is not a guy that would be escaping top 100 consideration. Now, the difference right now in ADP is not that great because Lucas has slid down a little bit and Deech has elevated as people have gone back to the tape after the Shrine Bowl, and he's currently at 137. So you're talking about 40, 
40 plus spots, which again is a full round in the early round. And those are valuable spots, but it's not one of those gaps where we've got, you know, 150 draft spots between these two guys, but they're, I think more similar uh, than people are giving them credit for. And certainly more than people would have given them credit for preseason. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a four-star kid coming out of high school, pretty much every sec school you can name was in on him like very talented guy not unlike um Noah Ellis you know again four-star mm-hmm. kid every SEC every SEC school wanted him he ended up going to Idaho because his dad was a coach there you know Deach went to A&M but in 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 a in a program where they kind of sneeze offensive linemen he just he he wanted to go somewhere else where he was going to get more snaps um as a graduate transfer. And uh, so he went to ASU because there was less competition there to get on the field. He immediately got on the field and he was really damn good. So I think, again, if you look at the pedigree, okay, highly sought after recruit, went to the SEC, graduated, went somewhere he could get snaps, played really well. Obviously he's on the older side now as a prospect, but for offensive line, that doesn't concern me as much because offensive linemen play forever these days, you know, like, 35 is the new 32 for offensive linemen. So uh, I'm not super worried about that. You're going to get multiple contracts out of him. Super athletic, was one of the more athletic offensive tackles in this entire class. Um, Not just testing, but on tape, like it's backed up. I would not be surprised if he actually goes ahead of Lucas, believe it or not. But no, I'm not surprised by that at all. After watching both of their tape last week again and and seeing the differences again, depending on who's getting him and depending on what they do specifically with their run game Mm -hmm. and how worried they are about those very high profile reps and whether or not they think they can get Lucas to anchor. Because one thing Deitch does do well is anchor. He'll go two steps back and that's it. He doesn't go any farther and he bends a lot. Right. He's got that really wide frame, but he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't mm-hmm. you don't see him get rolled. You don't see him very often get pushed into the quarterback, even against him. You know, look, he's in the Pac-12. He's playing Caleb on Thibodeau. He's playing all those guys like, yeah, he got beat, but he does have the ability to anchor. And depending on, hey, if you're going to move your tackles, if you're going to pull your tackles, not every full team will pull their tackle to the opposite side. A lot of them pull the guard, some of them pull the center, and a lot of them will pull tackles wide on the same side. But if you're gonna, if you really want a guy to move, he's got that basketball profile. I mean, he looks like a power forward to me, but he's three hundred and whatever seven pounds, six six, and he can really move. Like he's a he's athletic at that size. Most teams that pull tackles, they'll do it in pretty much one way, which is if they're running counter and they want the tackle to be the kickout block. Right. They don't pull the tackle even further to be the lead blocker to the edge. Like, because most of them, they're not that fast. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's, like, there's two tackles that come to mind in this class where they did that a lot. And it's Kellen Deach and Ike McQuano, mm-hmm. who they pulled him all the damn time because they could. He's super athletic. Like, it takes that kind of athlete to be able to call that kind of run scheme to get a 300 plus pounder going far hash as a lead blocker. Like it's, it's not normal. No. So I think, I think he's an exciting prospect uh, for that reason alone is because he really kind of opens up your run scheme that way. 
Um, speaking of offensive linemen, let's talk about Tyler Linderbaum, who was one of these prospects where going into this year, pretty much everybody was like, yeah, that's the guy. And that's, that's IOL one, you know, whether you're talking about centers, guards, anybody, anybody that plays in the interior offensive line, he was kind of wire to wire, like the first one for, for most people. Um, you know, famously the only guy to ever pin Tristan Wirfs as a wrestler, <laughs> um, and, and that wrestling background really shows up on tape. He's phenomenal uh, in terms of leverage. He's super athletic. Not the biggest guy in the world. He's at like 290, you know, got got shorter arms. But as a zone center, I, I don't necessarily care as much about sand in the pants. I care more about movement ability. You know, how do you move in space? Are you able to reach block, um, you know, super effectively on like a two-eye you know, can you snap and get out in those first two steps? And he can do that. So, you know, if we're just talking about zone centers, Tyler Linderbaum is the guy, but he's also likely going to go in the first round. So unless you feel comfortable taking a center super duper high, you're not going to get him. So who is next on your list as the other Tyler Linderbaum? Yeah, Linderbaum's a Linderbaum's a funny guy because he has been wire to wire. He does have the program and the pedigree. Does have the wrestling background, which I think is mandatory if you're going to be a lineman in Iowa. I don't I don't even think they let you in the door if you haven't wrestled. I, I think it's a state law. Yeah, I, I oh, yeah. think you can be arrested if you weren't a wrestler and you try and try out for the Iowa offensive line. But the crazy thing is he's that good with all that acclaim and all that without measurables. Like if I told you there was a center that was under 300 pounds with under 30, barely over 31 inch arms who was six, two and he was elite and going to be taken in the first round. You'd be like, nah. And like, literally that's Tyler Linderbaum. He's six two, two ninety six 296 with 31 inch arms, which again, and most people will say exactly what you said. If it's a center, I don't care. You talk about those measurements with any other offensive lineman and they're like, so can you, can you tackle? <laughs> um, but Linderbaum is a fantastic prospect. I am not taking shots at him. And he is going to go very high. And it's amazing to me that uh, despite those physical, what we would consider limitations or threshold sets, everybody's still like, nope, <laughs> nope, he's the guy. So he is going to go high. And if you want him, you're going to have to put a high pick into him. Not everybody wants to put a high pick into a center. Uh, the guy that I would back him up with is Luke Fortner. Uh, and Fortner's an interesting guy. He's had a bit of a quiet rise in the back half. So Linderbaum's ADP right now, 17, solidly in the first round. Fortner's ADP right now is 125, but like a month ago, it was like 185. Mm -hmm. And people have gone back. And a lot of times what they did is go back to the senior bowl because he had great tape in school. But Senior Bowl brings different competition, different body types, and a lot of straight one-on-one, -on -one, which you don't even necessarily get in film because there's so many combo blocks and everything else. Fortner low-key didn't lose a rep in Mobile. Mm -hmm. Like, he won every one when you go back. And they weren't all flashy. This is, again, classic offensive lineman. They weren't all flashy, but nobody, nobody whooped him. And... People have that, that commensurate rise of like, well, why would I knock him down? His his size profile is actually a little bit better than Linderbaum. His tape in a major conference, it's really good. And then he goes to the, you know, all-star game and 
does dominates doesn't <laughs> yeah quietly dominates right so we're talking about 17 to 125 110 premium draft picks we're talking right up at the top of the you know into the middle of the first round through the second round into the third round that's a huge difference and the drop-off in play especially as they develop isn't going to be huge and that's where you want to say hey i can get a big draft savings for a small gap in play is linderbaum a better center than fortner yes is he 115 picks better <laughs> you know for a lot of teams for that, and the way they value position, center yeah <laughs> no they're not willing to pay that premium for for the little bit um significant but little bit that linderbaum is better than fortner so uh, a classic other guy it's kind of like um you know, uh, like Ben Jones versus Mitch Morse. It's like, how how much more are yeah. you going to pay? <laughs> and, and how much are you willing to after so many teams? Like, we're not talking league. about, like, Jason Kelsey versus no. Mitch Morse. We're talking about, like, Ben Jones versus Mitch Morse, which is like, ah, you're kind of getting a good player no matter what. So, eh. And so many teams get by now with fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth round offensive lineman, notably the Packers, right? They just, every year they're trotting out guys that they picked in the middle rounds who they move all over the place. And hey, look, they're really good. Like they have a really good line. So good line coaches, pay them whatever you have to. Don't let them out of the building because they can maximize late round picks and turn them into very solid players in the NFL. Now, if you don't have one of those... <clears throat> chicago uh you know you can you can get your quarterback killed which is you you know possibly the most valuable asset in your building so uh the the lesson here kids is pay those offensive line coaches because they are worth their weight in gold yeah um by the way my honorable mention for that is dylan parham who i think is probably seen as a higher prospect than Fortner, I would imagine. Yep. He's at 90. So he's, yeah, okay. he's closer to Fortner, but in the middle. Yeah. And I just, I, Parm is another one of those guys, you know, dominated at senior bowl, like just looked crazy athletic, is crazy athletic. Didn't matter if it was center or guard. You know, he, he got significantly more buzz than Fortner did, despite mm-hmm. them both kind of doing the same thing in Mobile. But I think Parm's a better athlete. Um, and the positional versatility, I think, is very, very attractive. I think he's going to be one of the first five interior offensive line taken. And I'm not counting the tackles that are going to kick into guard because that's cheating, you know, because then it's yeah. like, well, what about Tyler Smith? It's like, eh, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but in terms of like true dedicated interior offensive linemen, Parham's going to be one of the first five taken. And if you miss out on Linderbaum, you're getting 90% of him in Dylan Parham for 50 less picks. Have you seen, well, more if, if the ADP even holds up, I, I think Parham probably goes in the sixties. Like I would say 60, 65 is, is probably closer for me. I, I, I could see end of round two. Yeah. Yeah. 90 seems a little, I think again, because after Linderbaum goes off the board, everybody's going to be playing poker, right? Everybody's going to be playing like roulette, basically like Russian roulette, not, not roulette on the table, uh, where, okay, who's going to, you know, how late, how late are you going to wait? How late are you going to wait? Um, have you seen the before and after pictures of Parham from when he came into school? Mm-mm. Look him up. How much did he put? Cause he's like three thirteen now. Yeah, he came in as a tight end. So like oh, many God. offensive linemen, he came in as a tight end, but he did this. The, 
I'll just say it, this skinny kid, I mean, <laughs> bigger than me, certainly even as a freshman, but the skinny kid that came in and, and the player he is now, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the before and after pictures of Parham. So he's gained good muscle every year. Again, like you said, went to senior bowl, super athletic. Um, yeah, we'll be off the board before Fortner, but I think brings more versatility. I would be really happy. Like if the Bears pick Parham and put him at guard, I'm like, well, you're set for eight years. You're fine. Um, and, you know, same thing if they pick Fortner, but it's at center. And honestly, they have needs at both. But Parham gives you that versatility to slide back and forth that I don't necessarily think Fortner does. It's just a really good player. Yeah. Um, let's get to defensive tackle now, pairing Winfrey, who I think has seen, I mean, well, first of all, defensive tackle is very broad term. Um, True. Winfrey, I'll specify, is seen as like a three technique defensive tackle. I don't think anybody's really considering him that to have like nose versatility. Pretty much everybody I talk to says like, yeah, he's a three technique. Um, you know, he's not a, he's not a head up to, not a nose. He's a three. And he's also going to go likely in the top 50 to 60 picks, I would say, because of how much power and explosiveness he has. Um, just a really, really impressive straight straight line athlete. He's a pocket crusher. Um, I think he's going to go fairly high. I don't necessarily buy like the early round two hype that he was getting, but I, I do still think he's going to go fairly high. But if you don't get Perry and Winfrey and you still need a three technique... Who are you getting? Well, your instincts on Winfrey are good. His current ADP is 57. So you nailed it right in oh, between okay. 50 well, there and you go. 60. Yeah. I got to bring this up because it set me back a pace when I was when I was doing this. Do you know how long Perry and Winfrey's arms are? <laughs> I know it's over 34, right? Like it's it's some like Groot looking build. 35 and a quarter. Oof. That's that's not normal. I was like, dude, you're six four, two ninety. That's again perfect, not perfect, but sort of prototypical three tech is anywhere between about six two, six two and a half to just under six five, and anywhere between two eighty five and three oh five if you're really athletic. Like that's that's the envelope, and he he fits it. And I was like, thirty five. Like 35 inch arms. That means that guy can hold off a lot of interior offensive linemen with 35 inches worth of arm. So if you don't get Winfrey in the top two rounds, because that is where he's going to go. And you need a three tech. You need somebody in that envelope. And this is going to be a name that our listeners at least are really familiar with. And it's Thomas Booker from Stanford, mm-hmm. who tested out of his mind if you saw the graphics the nfl put out he's in the top five of all defensive tackles for the majority of his testing metrics most of them he was top five of any defensive tackle that tested the combine and that's 40 uh he put up 31 reps on the bench which he uh we've been talking to him he worked really hard at with uh he was training with jeffrey gunter uh who's the edge from coastal and they're both their 30 was their thing like between them it was kind of their gentleman bet like that they're working for they're grinding for 30 and they both got 31 um Booker is just built. He's, if you've seen our interview with him, super intelligent guy, really engaging, very, very smart. You almost forget. And then he stands up to shake your hand and you're like, <laughs> oh gigantic. my God, you're yeah. huge. Like you're six, four, three, ten. Um, 
you know, and you're really built ton of power in his lower half, uh, can hold up, um, very well against big guys that he's going to see inside guards. Um, again, we mentioned the quickness, uh, his arms aren't as long. I'll say that, but, um, neither is his ADP, right? ADP for Winfrey 57 current ADP for Booker 206. Yeah, not for long. Not for long, <laughs> but even if that was to climb over the next three weeks and get up to, say, I'd say it'd probably top out 185, 175, like you're still talking about a 125-pick difference for a player that, yes, gives you less than Winfrey, but how much less? <laughs> and the answer is not a whole lot less. Some, for sure, that's why there's a difference in ranking, but this is the thing is a small difference in ability magnifies into a lot of difference in draft slotting. Uh, again, Booker had offers from Notre Dame. He ended up going to Stanford. He ended up, uh, I think he took a trip to Tennessee. Michigan uh, wanted him really Michigan bad. Michigan wanted yeah. him really bad. Like he, he could have been all of those things. He ended up playing in Stanford. Like there's very little difference between a lot of these guys. Doesn't matter if they're three stars, four stars, five stars. Again, those are somewhat subjective rankings. When you get, you're talking about even this draft class, which is huge. It's like 1,600 guys. I think last year it was 12. Um, uh, 1,200, not 12. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're talking about sixteen of the 1,600 of the very best athletes, football athletes in the entire nation. The, the slices between them are a lot thinner than you might think, which is a guy how a guy that played at Fayetteville state can be as good as a guy that played at Clemson or a guy that played at Notre Dame is, is the same measurably as a guy that played at Sam Houston state, right? It's because all these guys have offers and the, the reasons and the, the athletic characteristics that define them and divide them are not near as big as we make them out to be a draft meet. Well, this guy's way better than this guy. What we mean by way better is like, five to seven (laughs) percent it's it's not a lot so you know what i just realized we were Mm. very close to seeing a defensive line of aiden hutchinson ojabo and thomas booker Mm -hmm. all together like can you imagine how dirty that would have been (laughs) the other guy they have is draftable and nobody's talking about it that's true Chris Hinton is is not a bad player. He's like I he's a guy that I would invite as a as a late round pick, especially if you have a need a defensive tackle, because he's got a lot of good tape. He's he's one of those dirty jobs guys, right? In in Michigan's defense. And again, it's really the Ravens defense, if you're familiar with it. Like they need the they need the stump to take mm-hmm. up all the space and just eat blocks and and you know, wrestle with people for 60 minutes. And, and that was Hinton and he's pretty good at it. Um, not flashy, but he's pretty good at, it. but he's sort of borderline undraftable. Right. But again, he's uh, easily quote unquote. Uh, yeah, undraftable. exactly. You're talking, which about means the Ravens are going to draft him because he played a sure. key role and their defensive coordinator is now the Ravens defensive coordinator. And they're super familiar with him. So they know <laughs> what they're getting. And maybe they get him as a UDFA because wouldn't that be just so Ravens? <laughs> Uh, well, let's kick it with a, or not kick it, keep it with defensive tackle. Um, much different profile here with uh, Fedarian Mathis. 
another guy who, despite playing for, I don't know, the pinnacle of college football programs, zero buzz. I mean, zero buzz for Mathis. Like, he's just... I, I don't know if it's because people get like Alabama fatigue or whatever it is, but nobody's talking about him and he's a really good player. Yeah. He brings a lot to your defense. I watched him this week, uh, went back and focused on just Fedarian Mathis because of course, if you've watched any college football in the SEC, you've seen him, but really went back and focused on just his plays, watched him last Saturday, put up a bunch of clips on Twitter about him. A big guy with a lot of burst and straight line speed. Not a lot of lateral movement to him, but doesn't necessarily need. He can sidestep. He can swim. He just has to move a foot, right? Laterally, he has yeah. to move a foot. He, he's feet. never going to corner on a guard and close down and get the sack. It's He's the setup guy <laughs> for everybody right. else. Yeah, But if you get him in a straight line, there's a couple of plays. I posted one where he got around the guard, right? The, the guard in the center doing that shift, and he was able to basically hit club that gap as they were moving. And then he's, you know, basically head up with the quarterback. He covers distance. It was Matt Corral, who is a very good runner and super agile and escaped, but only because he is both of those things. Federian Mathis was on him in a flash and for a guy that's well over 300 pounds it's impressive to see him accelerate and move that quickly again really uh heavy heavy hands uh when he was clubbing the guard out of the way it's not really like the guard had a choice um but right now without a ton of buzz and some positional devaluation because he is a straight dt you're not going to do a lot else with him um, and the league doesn't value that as much. He's at 63 right now. So right there in that Perion Winfrey range, they play a, a bit of a different game, a uh, bit of a different position. If you want to say uh, Federian is that guy that you can line up at one or zero. Um, he's at 63, but you might miss out on him, right? And you might still need a really big, really fast defensive tackle. And this is one of my favorite players in the draft that, if you don't think anybody's talking about Federian Mathis, nobody's talking about this guy for how good he is. And it's Iomia Uazurike, and he is from Iowa State. And I don't know why more people aren't talking about him because... I, I know why. Because he can't because, say his name? N- well, no, it's because... Um... There's like two games of Iowa State defensive all 22 that everybody has and nobody has all the other games. And so like all the Iowa State, like Mike Rose, hit, like nobody's okay. paying attention. Unless you're going to all 22 flex. Office, I'm, no, I'm just saying like <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't find it on YouTube and there's right. like two games of all 22. No, it is so it, not super it. high profile on defense. Obviously, uh, a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball, but um, he's amazing. This, as a player, as a profile, there are not many players like this guy. And if you are talking about who he reminds me of, and this is going to get me all kinds of heat, uh, because people will this is this is why comps are fraught and challenging is he reminds me of a young akeem hicks 
the one that came out of Canada. <laughs> Ooh, that's right? dangerous. Right. But yeah. everybody's thinking the Akeem Hicks you see with the Bears. Now, I'm not, no, I'm talking about the one the Saints drafted way back when, who was raw and powerful and big. And everybody was like, wow. And the New Orleans defensive line coaches took him in, made him smarter took his gifts and and formed him into what we know as Akeem Hicks. Now, I am not saying that Uwazurike is the current version of Akeem Hicks, but he reminds me in a lot of ways. He's huge. This guy's from Detroit, 6'6", 316, 35-inch arms seems to be a thing, right? Uh, 10 and a half inch hand or 10 and an eighth inch hands. Big, powerful, fast, long, strong, like, you can put him anywhere along the defensive line. Uh, you can put him all the way out to five. You can put him at one, zero. You can shade him at two. You can put him at four eye. He plays great at four eye. You can put him at five. He's fast enough. And the leverage is a nightmare. 35 inch arms against a tackle. And again, if he makes himself a crack, he is through it in a flash. For a guy that size, he can really move. And for that many gifts wrapped up in one player, have you heard his name? If you're not an Iowa State fan or played against him, you probably haven't. And I I don't know why. This guy has like long-term defensive line starter all over him. I'm not saying Pro Bowl. I'm not saying all pro. Like if he goes on a similar path to Hicks, yeah, that could all happen. I'm not saddling him with that. I'm saying with what he's got right now, if he goes to a decent program, not even a great one, this is a guy that's going to play in the year, play in the league eight, nine years and be super solid because he's just, there's not too many of these guys. I just, I look at him and like my immediate thought is Pittsburgh Steelers. Like oh, somebody who yeah. play, play, you know, really good um, defensive line coach mm-hmm. who comes from uh, the Pete Jenkins tree. Um, and, you know, they, they could always use more five techniques, yeah. which I think he is. You know, he's a five technique in a in a three down front. Uh, the length, the power, the uh, for lack of a better term, ass mass. <laughs> like he's for sure. He is so Pittsburgh Steelers, and the fact that again he's going to go on day three. I I think he's a natural fit there, and I I really hope he ends up there for the betterment of his career. Mm-hmm. Because I think you take him and you put him with that coaching staff and what they could turn him into versus, you know, if he went to, I won't name names. I'm not going to talk shit on certain defensive line coaches, but let's just say the Steelers are a great situation. Yeah, no, I had two ideas for a situation. They're actually very different. Um, One kind of seems like a cheat and it's Belichick right oh yeah that'd be great because he they're going to use him in a variety of different ways they're going to find out what he's best at and they're really going to narrow it down to kind of like two separate roles which they classically do with a lot of players like you're really good at this you're really good at this we're not going to make you do everything until later if you're a belichick veteran we'll open up the defensive playbook and you can move all over the place and really mess with people but as a rookie we're going to have this for you to do situationally and this for you to do and you're going to do those two things and, and you're just going to kind of hone your craft for a bit. That'd be one approach. And the sort of more like modern hybrid, less structured would be the Jets. Go play with, Ooh. go play with Salah, right? Yeah. And, 
and have a tool like because when you think about Hicks, he's he's that way now for sure. Like you can do a lot of things with him. You can have a lot of fun with him, moving him inside on third downs. You can put him outside on rundowns. You can have him rush the passer if you want to, because he's that good of an athlete. Um, a guy like Sala with a guy like Uizurike as a as a chip, and he doesn't have to be. He's already got some really good defensive line chips that are sort of his core. But here, bring him in situationally, move him around, and have him just be that like crazy six six three hundred pound wild card that can kind of do it all with thirty five inch arms. Like I could see that being really fun. And he fits their profile of what they like because they like to have, even though they play a lot of um, you know four down fronts, their six technique end is like in their base end or whatever you want to call it is usually built like a defensive tackle. Like right now, their four down front is John Franklin Myers at six technique, who is, for all intents and purposes, a three technique, you know, by trade. They just, they kicked him out there because they could, and he's athletic enough for it. Yeah. Then you got Sheldon Rankins and Quinnen Williams on the inside. You got Kyle Phillips, Solomon Thomas. Like they, they have a, you know, their one, you know, lighter fire breather off the edge, um, you know, kind of rotation on the other side with Carl Lawson and Jacob Martin, but like they are no stranger from just other than having that Leo, if they still even want to call it that, it's really just more of a, a nine technique and they say go hunt. Um, weak side edge, let's call it that. Sure. But all three of the other guys in their four down front are usually fucking gigantic. <laughs> so yeah, put them on that line. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, you can have him spell Quinnen. And honestly, yeah. if you don't want to bring him out, you can kick him over to end because, the, again, he comes from that San Francisco. Salah comes from that San Francisco system where they had, you know, Eric Armstead, all those guys. You know, it's the legacy of Brenton Buckner. But, like, you, you just have big, like, super athletic guys that can rush the passer, that can stuff the right leg, who are just nightmares to deal with. Like, you remember when Muhammad Wilkerson was still good? Yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it he's there just aren't that many guys that are that tall that big really built not spindly in any way just heavy and heavy in the hands heavy in the pants like you said um fast and super long arms like what can't you do with that guy on a defensive line the answer is not much and why is he in the 200s i don't know maybe iowa state doesn't i mean iowa state plays people and you know, he didn't wreck people, but he was a problem. And much like Hicks doesn't always like on the stat sheet wreck people. But if you go back and look at the tape, if you watch the all 22, Hicks is just thrashing people for the entire game and ruining an entire side of the offensive line. And he could do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, Uwe Zarike, the last name I got, it's the first name that always gives me trouble. Is it E E? I want to say it's Ioma. Ioma. I think it's Ioma. Now, if I'm wrong, please correct me in the comments. I do not want to be butchering people's names, but with 350 of them every year, there is at least a couple that I badly mangle. Yeah, we'll we'll get it right before uh, before the draft day stream. That's for sure. Luckily, there are some teams out there that put pronunciation on the website. Oh, that's the best. You go to the college website and you can click. My favorite is you click on it and it's the player saying their own name. Oh. Don't even it's get the, me started. It's the wave file of the player yeah. saying their own name. I'm like, you go. Every this should be mandatory. Like, if you need to put in a rule, NCAA, make this 
you cannot put up a player's file unless they say their name. Because if I we will. can have 15 different ways of spelling Aiden and Jaden, we can have pronunciation. Okay. Yes. Let's say that. <laughs> Speaking of Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. Hmm. If you miss out on Aiden Hutchinson, i.e., if you don't have the first overall, I was going to say, draft. and you probably will. <laughs> so, who is your other Aiden Hutchinson for all the people that not even just miss out on him, but miss out on all the first round edges, and they still want to get a hand in the dirt, you know, five or six technique, however you want to play him in a four down front? Who's your other Aiden Hutchinson? Yeah, solidly built. A lot of tools, still going to give you both pass rush and run stop, um, can hold up on their own, doesn't need support. Like we were just talking about the jet system, that lighter, faster edge. No, the other guy. Uh, and it's one of your gems, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. Uh, we talked about him having a lot of tools, a good physical profile, better, I think, physical profile than some people might think. Again, San Diego State, not the top recruiting ground in the country, but again, D1 school, plenty of great athletes, Southern California. Um, and Cam Thomas, ton of production, ton of tools, good size, similar size, actually. We've got the, we don't have a great RAS comparison because neither one of these guys has worked out fully. Their cards well, are partially. Well, he tried to, out. by the way, but he popped a hammy literally in the first drill at the combine. So, yep. and he shut <laughs> it down. So we don't yeah. have full numbers, but just looking at their tape and the, and the measurables we do have in terms of height, weight, arm length, um, and just play style was what really got it for me. And these are two big square guys that don't move like big square guys. They're very athletic. They find multiple different ways to get around, through, over offensive tackles. They do it with regularity, both of them. Their pressure rates are really high. Uh, and they're handfuls. These are guys that you're going to have to go against for the whole game. Like, if you're an offensive tackle and that's your assignment for the day, like, I don't know, book an ice bath and dinner because you're going to be hungry and beat up. I could not possibly pick a better other Aiden Hutchinson because they're built the same. They have very similar skill sets. They have very similar metrics. I mean, virtually every every single way that you can compare these two guys, like almost to the point where you slap a Michigan jersey on Cam Thomas and it would be really hard to tell the difference like he is that good and it's really unfortunate that again he popped a hammy at the combine which is part of the reason why a lot of agents are very upset with the current combine schedule because they feel like their guys are way more predisposed to injury with how the warm-up schedules have changed yep um so i would not be surprised if the league gets an earful from the players union and agents (laughs) begging them to go back to the old schedule um I don't know when his pro day is or even if he's healthy enough for it because hammies are finicky. That's the thing is pro day is going to be coming up here soon because like you said, we're near the end of pro day season, but is he healthy enough to really push it? And if he's not, does he want to run, you know, below what he's capable of numbers or does that hurt him more? And typically if that's the case, agents will shut him down and say, hey, just have him. Have him go off your tape. The tape oh, it looks like it, it happened. Hold on. Let me see if he actually did stuff. I don't think he did. And if he did, he probably only did the static stuff because it was so soon after the combine. Yeah, he did. And didn't. like you said, hammies, hammies take a while to heal. So hey, we're not going to mm. get testing numbers on these guys. But in terms of ADP, Adrian Hutchinson right now is number one. So again, you're most likely going to miss out on him. Uh, and Cam Thomas's ADP is 67. 
which I don't know that I fully buy that. I would say more like 47 feels better to me. Like if there was testing numbers, if there was testing numbers, he would have been that high. But if people are okay with his soft tissue, like if it wasn't a complete tear off the bone kind of thing, if it's just like, hey, you pulled it really bad and you need to, you know, and he doesn't have a history of it. Like everything else is there. Production uh, against uh, top competition when they did play bigger schools uh consistent production it's not like oh one year worth or one game worth like this is a guy that wrecked offensive game plans for everybody he played um yeah 67 seems a little on the low side but as it stands again not a perfect measure but you're talking about 66 draft slots and you know the most valuable from number one down to number 66 in difference and how much difference on the field if they're both fully healthy like we said, you put different jerseys on them, it'd be tough to spot the other one. Uh, let's get to linebacker now. Brian Osamoa. You know, this kind of new breed of smaller, lighter linebacker. Um, he kind of fits right in with the bunch, you know, ultra productive. He was kind of like the next guy after Kenneth Murray stepped right in, you know, started putting up some truly impressive tape, like from the moment he got on the field. Um He's been one of the linebackers that I've been really excited about um, getting to study as I put together my own linebacker rankings. Um, just hyper productive towards the end of the season. Uh, you talk to people at OU and they say like, yeah, it took a little while for the light to come on. But once it fully did and the talent took over, like he was unstoppable towards the end there at OU. Um, I think he's one of the linebackers that I really can't figure out where he's going to go because I think mm-hmm. it just depends on what games you watch. Yeah, he's one of the guys that's had um, an uh, alternate experience. A lot of these guys we've been talking about, like Luke Fortner and many of the others have been creeping up, uh, started very low and are creeping up. We we said the same thing about Jelani Woods when we did the offensive gems, is that he started way down on draftable range, and now he's in the 160s, 170s. Um, he's had a huge rise. Uh, Osmo is one of those guys that, Again, at the end of the season, when people are sort of putting out their initial, hey, the season's over and these people are declaring, he was, I think, artificially inflated a little bit because of that surge at the end of the season. He was sometimes in the 60s, the 50s, and then people really got back into studying his tape and what what is he really and how can we use him and how versatile is he? A lot of it's based on projection or potential because he showed it. The light did come on, but it was for a short stretch, again, against top competition. So there's a little bit of uncertainty there. And he's had more of a settling. I don't think anybody's out on Brian Osamoa. I think they're just not quite as hot as they were right at the end of the season. So his current ADP 106, a little bit lower than it has been. He's a very light linebacker. He's he's in that mold of, hey, I'm just over six foot and I'm just over 200 pounds, but I'm fast as lightning and and love to hit things um if you miss out on brian osimo if you're thinking that's your will or or that's your really fast nickel linebacker that you really wanted as a piece for your defense and you don't get him or some team still has him at 60 and you know pops him 20 or 30 picks before you were willing to what are you going to do and i'm going to reach all the way down to the bottom of the bag here in terms of adp and get chiron johnson from Kansas at 352 currently, which is well into the UDFA ranks. If we're talking about 265, 75 picks total in the draft, you're talking about another 75 guys beneath that. However, 
if you watch Kyron Johnson tape and you watch some of his reps from the Senior Bowl, which were memorable, watch the one against Trevor Penning. Uh, Kyron Johnson's ball of energy. He is middle linebacker sized, 6'1", 230-ish. They played him at edge a lot, so he has that small edge profile. We talked about it. Jannard Avery is a guy that a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple now, came out and had that shorter, stouter, faster. Like, what am I going to do with this? Because he, who's, who's the who's the kid with the Cardinals who's like that? Where it's like uh, Gardick. It's like six foot two thirty. Right. You know, it's like that kind of guy. And he gets sex, and you're like, huh? And he gets sex. So you know, Kyron Johnson is is a player you can put in the middle. They played him in the middle at Kansas as well as at edge. Hyper athletic. Like his athletic testing is ridiculous it's better than Osamoa's um but again I don't think people can quite figure out what Chiron is they they know what Osamoa is they're just not sure like whether or not they'll use him uh with Chiron it's like is this like the ultimate special teamer is this my new mic if I tune up his instincts is this my situational third down pass rusher like Gardeck, who I'm just going to, you know, take all the guff from the other coaches when they see him trotting out and say, yeah, but he still ended up on top of your quarterback. Um, he's just more of an enigma, but man, there's so much there to work with. He is, he, you know, if we're doing a, a sort of ball of clay assessment after the draft, like Chiron is a deadlock for ball of clay. He's, Roughly the same size as Osamoa, six foot two thirty one. That's what he came in at the Kansas Pro Day. He, uh, I don't believe he was a combine invite. Uh, four four flat, <laughs> six nine eight three cone. So sub seven three cone. That's the crucial one for for guys that even think about playing on the edge. Four three eight shuttle, thirty nine and a half vert, ten foot broad, forty inch vert at two thirty. It's like it's insane. He is a top, top, top tier athlete. We're talking about top 5% across the board athlete at that size. And it really is like, what do I do with him? Because he did all this stuff at Kansas and he's got good instances of all of it. And he also has instances where he disappears for a while or, you know, just doesn't really look like he knows he's doing, which you would expect for a guy that moved around, played a lot of different roles and is just can in even in a big conference rely on athleticism because he's got so much of it yeah so i'm excited to see not just where osmo goes but where where Kyron goes because i just i refuse to believe somebody that athletic goes undrafted like somebody's gonna take him just for special teams if just, not he's you know. he's one of those guys that signs a udfa contract gets to pick his team and gets like a forty thousand dollar bonus yeah he's gonna be a, a at worst priority udfa because yeah. every special teams coordinator is going to be like a linebacker that runs four four and has edge rusher experience that can rip through and be a gunner. Yeah, we're drafting him in the seventh round. Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. throw me a bone. Uh, Trent McDuffie I've had a significant UW presence, I think, today. Um, I I think a let me preface this by saying he's a good corner. Mm-hmm. You know, very athletic, very very athletic. Um, Good instincts. His click and close is is phenomenal. I think when I look at Trent McDuffie and I say, okay, he can be a good corner in the league. You put him at safety, he is going to be a fucking menace to society. 
Like I want him at safety so bad, just like I wanted Javon Holland at safety. I'm like, Javon Holland, he'll be a good corner. Nickel, day one, fine. Javon Holland at safety wrecks the world. Like I, I want Trent McDuffie at safety with his coverability, with his tenacity as a hitter. That's my guy, man. He is like Kareem Jackson with possibly even more juice than Kareem had when he was a young and coming out of Alabama. And Kareem eventually did transition to safety, which is what Texans fans wanted four years. Like he was a top tier nickel, obviously, because he could hit really well. And then he played safety and he was a great, great safety. I want McDuffie to be that from day one because you put that dude at safety. He is a pro bowler within two years. I almost guarantee it. He is that good. Yeah, he's got a lot of the skills that we have grown accustomed to seeing coming out of the UW backfield, right? UW sort of mints these players that are <laughs> a little bit under six foot, right at, right above 200 pounds, fast, tenacious. They play in the slot. They hit, they hit a lot. Uh, they make TFLs, like those just crazy click and close TFLs where mm-hmm. they're flying at people's feet and upending them. And we're just, we're like so used to seeing those players come out of Washington that, uh, you know, Elijah Molden is the guy that I think of last year, right? That it was this, this how different is Elijah Molden than, you know, a certain guy playing in Arizona that we both like. Yeah, Buda Baker. Yeah, yeah. It's not Buda. There's Elijah. There's OJ McDonald. Like they're all just kind of on a line, on a thread, mm-hmm. on a like we keep making these, and the league keeps figuring out how to use them. So to me, that's you know, and I think McDuffie's fine as a corner. I think he might actually be a little overrated as a pure corner because he does all these other things really well. And if you put him as an outside corner, which you could, he's five eleven. He's decently sized some people are projecting in there you sort of miss out on this ability to fill on a run blitz and uh you know take on tight ends which he can do um either way very talented player current adp reflects that 25 first round player through and through so you're probably not going to get him uh it is right at the edge where i think people are comfortable taking slot defenders which you and i can have this discussion at a later time we both think that's kind of silly it's a position that is a starter now has been for years and can have tremendous impact when used correctly so the whole like oh well we can't take a slot corner in the first is kind of like oh we can't take a center in the first we can't take safety yes you can they're going to play <laughs> for your football team for you know seven or eight years and they're going to make you significantly better yes you can um and I think McDuffie fits that category. So the sort of corner safety thing is a little bit less for me, but he's going to go up high, 25. So what do you do if you don't get him and you, and you need that guy? Well, turns out there's a really good looking copy of Trent McDuffie that played in Pitt last year. And his name's Damari Mathis. Mm-hmm. And he is same thing. Like everything. Literally said, the same. He is wild. <laughs> he's fast. He is yeah. there for, I saw somebody post on Twitter. Uh, he is there for that smoke, right? He wants it. He is, he is up in people's business, physical 
hit like you know lewis riddick as a as a former pit defensive back loves this guy and rightfully so like he plays the game at 100 miles an hour he is in your face he is everywhere he is really fast he is a little bit bigger than mcduffie by just a hair uh but you again if you did the jersey swap you you'd like you'd be like huh they run a little different but it's the same thing yeah. um fast aggressive hits plays in the slot uh shuts people down from there uh both in the pass game and the run game like tamari mathis is for all intents and purposes very very similar to trent mcduffie his adp is 175 and that's been he's gonna- rising three four rounds later you're gonna get them and it's uh... you're literally talking about 150 premium picks later like the whole top of the top half of the draft right you're talking about almost 300 picks so the the midpoint of the draft pick wise not necessarily round wise because remember the rounds get bigger as you go the first two there's no compensatory picks three there are a few four there are quite a few five six and seven there's a lot so those rounds stretch to like 50 60 picks sometimes so in terms of just pure number of picks you're talking about you know 265 or 75 picks midpoint is one uh, not quite 140 right so if you're talking about 150 pick difference it's a half a draft difference between mathis's current projected adp and mcduffie's is there a half a draft difference between them as players on the field? Absolutely There not. is not. <laughs> like, I am here to tell you, McDuffie, great player. Mathis, great player. 150 picks. I'll take Mathis for the value. You know what that tells me, by the way? Mm. I Like, I believe McDuffie's going around 25. Yeah. Tells me that Mathis is going way higher than yeah, 150. There's no way. That is one of those ADPs you're 100% correct, not going to hold up. Like after yeah. draft day, and we're like, oh, he went at 110. He went 65 picks earlier than he was projected to. I'm just saying he could be a top 100 player. He could, and somebody may pick him there. There are some other talented corners as well, so they might not like one thing or another about his profile. But talent-wise, I would not be at all shocked by him going right around 100, which is still 75 premium picks later than McDuffie, but not, I, I think, 175 given his tape is an injustice but did and you, no did i don't know his did? agent <laughs> did you see what he did at his pro day i'm just I'm, i i know what but, the numbers are i'm wondering if you know what the numbers are yeah it was just confirmation though right to me like you so, see that guy flying around on pit tape and you're like whoo so keep in mind he ran for for the people listening and watching at home. He ran four three nine at the combine. Didn't do any other testing. A lot of the DBs didn't do any other testing because again the workout schedule was completely effed. Let's just say it wasn't great. So yeah. he's like, I'm going to do the rest of the pro day. So he had the pro day. Um, again, five eleven, two hundred pounds, four three nine speed. Um, did the shuttle in four two two, forty three and a half inch vert boing <laughs> like that dude is explosive he is not going at 150 he's going much earlier than that yeah and i and want people I mean, to understand this when he's going off the board yeah maybe in day two yeah that he's a freaky athlete who's also it, a good corner yeah who's also productive on the field and and knows how to play his position so i Damari Mathis is is a great player. McDuffie's a great player. There's nothing against McDuffie, but it, it, this is the this is the whole point of the other guys episode is 
these are players you can get down the board. If if McDuffie is the apple of your eye and you think that guy is going to complete our defense and I will be nothing without him, take heart, take hope. You can still get that player. You can get him 100 picks later. And, you know, you're, a couple of years from now, you might not know any difference to that. So Yeah, we'll see what the second contracts look like because they might be, <laughs> might be yeah. more similar than you think. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Let's round it off with um, somebody who I, I do want to talk about this real quick. Um, Kyle Hamilton has been a fascinatingly divisive topic on draft Twitter the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite the topic the last few days, hasn't he? And I think it's because at least I can speak from my own experience that I, you know, I, I hit in DMs with like four or five other people. And for me, I just heard his name so much for 18 months that I just like assumed he was when I got to the all 22. Cause again, he's a safety broadcast copy. You don't see shit. I just kind of assumed that when I got to the all 22 and I was like, all right, let's finally get to Kyle Hamilton. I'm getting to safeties. They're one of the last position groups I'm doing. Let's start off with the guy at the top of the board. So I have something to compare everybody else to. The only safety I'd done at that point were, uh, were the senior bowl guys. So it was like Petre and I think I did Dax Hill. I was like, all right, let me do Kyle Hamilton before I do all the other ones. So I have a bar. I got like three quarters into the first tape. I was like, this dude's going top three. And then I got I got one more game and I was like, are we sure he's going top 15? And then I got another game into it and I was like, are we sure he's going first round? Because hmm. he's Jaron Curse. Like yeah, good I've player, good player, yeah. mid, like niche role, very niche role. You want him to play press on a tight end and take away a tight end? Fine. You want to go into quarters and have that dude trying to turn and burn with a slot receiver deep down the field? Fuck no. He can't do it. He's not a cover safety in an era where your safeties need to cover. And he's also, like, people compare him to to cam chancellor i'm like are you insane he's not the hitter cam was he's not taking on pulling guards in the hole so what does he do he plays press on tight ends that's what he does which which is valuable but not top five valuable no that's i think the first thing you said is probably the most important in this whole discussion we can talk about his on-field merit we can talk about plays he made plays he doesn't make plays he missed that's what we talk about with every player. But what it started with, with Kyle Hamilton for most people, and this goes from the top right on down. And a lot of people before they ever got to Kyle Hamilton or really even knew who he was, heard this is the best safety in the draft at minimum. And at maximum, they heard this is the best player in the draft. Nobody's better at their position in this draft than Kyle Hamilton is at his. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot. Let's just say that's a lot. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot of whatever else. So there's always a bit of a letdown whenever you get to that. And it's not just melt your face off. Awesome. Like you don't get to a player and it doesn't, his whole tape doesn't look like highlights. You're like, what are you talking about? I mean, we're talking about 300 football players and you're saying this is the best one of all of them, regardless of position. And the answer is, no, it's not that. Is he the best safety in the draft? Well, let's define the role of safety. Like you said, if you're talking about coverage, no, I can I can name five safeties that can cover better than he can in situations where you're going to be manned up. No, 
he is really tall. He's a good athlete. He does bring his pads. Is he a cam chancellor here? What's come on. Like that, that's the gold standard of hitters from the safety position. That's a, that's a lot to put on any player. Would I do it to a guy that's never played it down in the league? I probably wouldn't, uh, you know, so it's all this like hype and hyperbole and, and pressure about he's the best and he's the greatest. And we're comparing him to the all time greats. And you go to his tape and look, he's a good football player. This is not some slouch, but is he number one overall material? Not unless you face a lineup exclusively of tight ends on a weekly basis and nobody does. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, is is he a top round player? For I think for most people, probably. But I've seen quite a few a, people. I have a day two grade, personally. Again, I, I'm not I saying he's seen, bad. Nope. But. And it's not about that. But I've seen more people in the last week come out with a counterpoint saying, hey, I have a round two grade on him, and that's not a knock. That's still one of the best 60 football players in in the entire draft, right? And I've got him as safety, whatever they have him as, usually two or three, right? But not one. And everybody's taking that as a huge knock, and it's because of this prefabricated status of best safety in the draft. And if you went higher than that, if you turned it up even more, best player in the draft, that's it's too much for for what he is. So watch him yourself, make your own decision. If you decide that he's, you know, safety number one, go for it. Like I more power to you. Different opinions are great in the draft as long as you can back them up. Um, but for a lot of people, they're probably going to have a similar experience to what you did if they haven't watched him yet, which is where, where's the rest, right? Where's, where's the fill of this game that makes him elite, like the best of the best top five kind of player in the draft, I don't see that on tape either. Uh, do I think he's a good player? I do. Do I think the expectation of the hype are too high? I also do. I just, and again, I round two great people. I don't have a negative opinion on him. I just, I don't sure. think he's this magical top five unicorn. People were saying, ah, he's an equivalent prospect or better prospect than Derwin James because he's bigger than Derwin. And I'm like, he is not even close to Derwin. It is an insult to Derwin to say he is Derwin. They're two very different players. Yeah, like Derwin, based on tape, I would say that anyone that makes that assumption is not basing that off tape. Because if you, yes, I don't care about size. I don't care about measurements. I don't care about combine testing. Like I use all that stuff as confirmation. And it also turns me back to the tape. If I see something that's really off, like if I, had watched Quan White's tape as a running back. We talked about him at the top of the show and, and he ran a four, six, three or something. I would go, did I miss it? No, he was out running Florida defensive backs. Like they don't run four, six, three. They all ran four, four and he dusted every one of them. So by a bunch. So no, he's not four, six, three, a bad day, bad track, bad leg, whatever. So I use all that stuff, but it's tape for you, for me, it's tape, right? And if you just put on, Hamilton's tape and then you put on Derwin James's tape and you say those are the same things I'm gonna say from a football analyst perspective your eyes don't work right yeah, yeah. They're, they're just he's he's not Derwin he's not even he's not Minka like Jamal Adams how, how highly regarded Jamal Adams was he's not a Jamal Adams to me um like I'm 
honestly, like I had a monster grade on Jesse Bates when he was coming out. I have a higher grade on Jesse Bates uh, when he was coming out of school than I than I have on Hamilton. Ooh. I got one. Huh? I just thought of it because it's timely with news. Jabril Peppers. That's the thing is they're so different. I know they're different. different. But because Jabril was like a nickel Sam hybrid Mm -hmm. and he's more physical. Jabril was more physical in college and played the run better. For sure. Yeah. You know, he played the run better, uh, better hips, better feet. Hamilton had obviously the the length and the size. Well, the better hips, better feet I get, but again, Jabril Peppers hips and feet. anyways, it was just something that popped up cuz cuz yeah. Peppers got No, signed. I that one that one would be that one would be interesting. I'd still It's closer I, than it's closer. all the than all the Derwin James and whatever other top safety like you said Bates had a really good grade just because he was so good in coverage he could lock yeah. anybody down so like I, anyways, I had a higher grade than Eddie Jackson like Javon yeah. Holland uh, again it depends on on where they go but I I just think the slice it's it's the for me it's the huge difference between this expectation that he got saddled with it's not his fault you know he wasn't out there saying I'm the best. You should put me on top of all your lists. Um, you know, it kind of got hold and and started in that period, even before the season where there's an absence of games and certainly an absence of hardcore analysis, like way more people are putting the microscope on him over the last six weeks than at any other point in his career. So there's a lot of those things that get inflated and people just go, yeah, yeah, I'll look in five months when I, when I get to it. Right. Or if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I see him every week. Fine. Um, that's great. But, you know, as the scrutiny has come, more people have kind of raised their hand and gone, you know, I've been hearing for months now that this guy is is lights out, you know, one of the best players in the draft. And I look at his tape and I see a talented football player at safety, which a second round grade would indicate. But I don't see a world beater like so many people that I respect have been telling me he is for so long. What am I missing becomes the the thinking response to that but what it becomes in the social media chamber is is this large volume of like what <laughs> so here's here's the operative question then because you're not going to get kyle hamilton without a first round pick probably mm-hmm. just I, I i get the sense that regardless of what we have him graded as somebody that big that long gonna go in the first round probably yep. So if you don't get Kyle Hamilton, but you want a player similar athletic profile, skill set, whatever you want to term it, who's your other Kyle Hamilton? Well, he's Kyle Hamilton, strangely enough. (laughs) Um, His name is Sterling Weatherford, and he plays for Miami of Ohio. And he's Kyle Hamilton. And if you'd said that, Four months ago, you would have gotten roasted to no end. You're saying that this guy that plays at Miami of Ohio is as good as the best player in this draft, which we just talked about, which is hype and hyperbole. If you look at the measurements, size, weight, speed, Mm -hmm. and depending on 
speed and which speed you believe or take of of Hamilton. He was never going to be super fast. He was going to be mid. He's going to be about four six, right? Yeah. And they said four seven in pro day. Four five five is a number that's come out. Like there's there's numbers all over the board. You can look at his has rangy interceptions and say, yeah, that guy runs, you know, probably high four fives, four six, right? Which is plenty fast on a football field, especially when you're that long. If you'd said that Sterling Weatherford four months ago was Kyle Hamilton, short of a little bit of explosion, a couple inches in the vert, which is significant, and three to four inches in the broad, which is also significant, but besides those two numbers, these guys ran the same testing, except Weatherford is faster. So yeah. when we get down to three cone, when we get down to the shuttles, we're talking about hundredths of a second, not the first digit, the second digit after the decimal. These guys ran the same testing. They are the same size. They are the same weight and the same length arms. Like these are the same guys physically and they play the same role in their defense. Weatherford is a guy that comes forward and knocks the living hell out of short crosses, little out routes tight ends running backs coming up the alley like he and he's i would argue slightly more physical than hamilton is he he's a hammer he will bring he's it more reckless his with his body i think is a good yes, way to phrase 100%. it yes 100 percent. yeah uh but current adp for kyle hamilton five current adp for sterling weatherford way more than 223 five. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 223. So we're talking about a late sixth round prospect, right? Yeah. In with all the compensatory picks. You're talking about late sixth round or early seventh round. That is as different as it gets in terms of draft value, draft measurement, draft terminology. Guy that's going in the first round, even if you don't believe it's at five, right? Even if it's at 25, still solidly like we talked about with McDuffie first round, right? Sterling Weatherford has maintained his draft position, his ADP, uh, right about from undraftable to just the fringe of draftable. I think he will be drafted. He's got good tape. Uh, he's got a teammate that is going to be drafted more highly, Dominique Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so people have, you know, people have seen him. He's not the only one on his team. Plays in a pretty competitive conference, had, you know, good statistics, like Good athletic profile, just again, the same athletic profile. If you like Kyle Hamilton's, you like Sterling Weatherford's because they're the same. Uh, he'll get drafted, but you're gonna get him in the sixth or seventh round, like, yeah. and that's not gonna be a terrible surprise. And you're going to be getting from a physical standpoint 95 97 percent of Kyle Hamilton, the athlete, not the safety, not the football player, the athlete. You're gonna get 95 percent of that profile six rounds later yeah and i think if you have a good coaching staff where they're like yeah give me the athlete we can get the rest out of him yeah again you you play that guy on special teams from day one he is a three-phase special teamer for you day one oh you're 224 pounds and you're six four and you run a four six guess what we got for you (laughs) oh and you like contact (laughs) we got jobs for you and my comp for, for Kyle Hamilton, which again was Jaron Curse when he was coming out of Clemson, uh, 6'4", 222, roughly the same size. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he 
he had a lot of questions of, okay, well, can he turn and burn with a slot mm-hmm. receiver deep down the field? Or is he literally just, you know, put him in press on tight ends, you know, put him as like a, people just called it box safety, but it's more of, a, it's an even more specialized role than that. Yeah. And he went pick 244. He was a seventh round pick. And now, you know, he's a very effective player for the Cowboys in that very specific <laughs> niche role for Dan Quinn. Do you know, you probably don't, because this is before we knew each other. So I used to write long-form draft articles. It was one of the first things I did publicly in draft media. I'm talking like 5,000 to 8,000 words for a player. So kind of mm-hmm. like this podcast. <laughs> a lot of words about football players. Um, I wrote one on J. Ron Kirsch because much like Kyle Hamilton, he had a lot of hype. He did. He, was a, he, went up, he was ended up going top, super late. Yeah, he was a top safety in that class when I started writing because the articles that season I started writing in September. So you're picking off preseason All-American list. You're picking off guys that were top of the conference the previous year and going to be, you know, all ACC, blah, 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 right? And so Jaron Curse was one of the guys that I picked off first because I was like, hey, here's a guy that everybody's saying is going to be great. So I'll start with him. And I dove into his tape and I was like, uh, not as not as dynamic as I might like. I can send you the mm-hmm. article because it still lives on in the internet somewhere in cyberspace. Uh, I think you'd get a kick out of it. But I got a lot of shit because again, it was September. It was like, ah, he's all ACC, and you're saying he's not that good. I was not. Uh, I in no way presaged his fall to the sixth round. I I figured he would be a middle round pick if it was me because again, you had to have the right role for him to fill. Uh, but I was not as, uh, automatically high as everybody thought I should be on J Ron curse. And I'm like, mm, shades of that with Kyle Hamilton. I'm not going to write a 5,000 word article about it. No, but there you he go. was, you know, one of the biggest names on a national championship defense. He was multiple times, all conference. He was all American late day three pick. And again, six, four, two, 20, four, six speed. And super linear. It's super linear. (laughs) Like super linear. That was the thing. Going forward, he's great. Going backwards, not so much. It's the same profile, but seven rounds of difference. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is when you looked at, and you know, they call them way too early for a reason, way too early mock drafts. The year J Ron curse came out, he was in the top round. He was in the twenties, but he's in the top round. He's one of the top 32 picks. And I, you know, after watching him, I was like, I don't think so. Like, I haven't watched everybody else yet, but I think there's probably better players out there uh, who are more versatile and and probably more valuable. Um, I'm I'm curious. I'm looking at, because he came out, what was it, 2016? Yeah, Yeah, 2016, round seven. I'm I'm going through a a way too early. God, Robert Kemdiche, I remember him. Oh, I do. I wrote wrote him up too early in the season because he was, uh, but he... Kim DJ, we could talk about that at a different time. We don't need to take people down that rabbit hole. Man, that 2016 class was pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. Uh, LaCroix Treadwell was getting top 10 buzz. Yeah. Sean Robinson, Cardale's top like, 12. Yeah. Kendall Fuller, Sua Cravens. Wow. All these guys. Do you know? It's funny you mention him. Do you know what he's doing now? Uh, No. What's he doing? He's doing personal training. Really? I, he huh. popped up this week. I saw a thing. Um, yeah, Sua Cravens is doing personal training. Wow, Sheldon Day and Connor Cook were getting first-round buzz. Uh-huh. Connor incredible. Cook especially. 
Connor Jalen Ramsey all <laughs> over. And Connor Cook was like, I watched Connor Cook and I was like, Are you are you sure? And everybody's like, Oh yeah, Connor Cook, Connor Cook. And I think I had a third round grade on Connor Cook. Jalen Ramsey's like eighteenth in this early mock draft. That's hilarious to me. Well, now, sure. Hindsight being Shalit Calhoun, Taylor De- Oh, okay, some of these worked out. Yeah, Shalit. Dakeel Williams, I remember him. Wow. Uh-huh. So it's a trip to the Wayback Machine, listeners. Uh yeah. So all good times, but uh again, preseason things don't always hold up. Even midseason and late after season draft takes don't necessarily hold up because the scrutiny is very different and the lights get bright and people pick apart the strangest little things. And sometimes they're correct to do that. Those are uh hints at flaws that will be exposed at, at a different level of competition. And sometimes um, it's the other way. It's overblown stuff that makes no difference whatsoever. Uh, so anyways, the the magic of this whole business is knowing which pieces are what. Yeah, I yeah. I'm very curious to see where he goes, because I, think I bet you are. <laughs> that's going to be one of the storylines for me to watch is like, OK, well, how speaking of, are, we should tell people, people that we're working on those plans. We, we have not yet Indeed. finalized plans for the draft live stream, but we are heavy in the scheming and, and we're going to have some upgrades no matter what happens. So we will again be doing the draft live stream this year, our third year doing it, which seems impossible. Um, full end coverage, which is very hard to find unless you're going to the networks. Um, <laughs> in terms of every round, every pick. Uh, we will be there and we will get to react live to wherever Mr. Hamilton gets to ply his trade in the NFL. I think we're planning on doing like somewhere between 20 and 22 hours of, of live streaming right. over the course of three days. So, which is funny because when we started doing it, we did, we kind of did it on accident and oh, <laughs> we ended that's, up doing the whole That's draft. charitable. That's a yeah. charitable call accident, which is Brett going, you want to keep going? sure i'll sit here for five hours yeah. this will be great the, the one was... hour pre-show that turned into an 18 hour stream <laughs> yeah no uh happy oh, to do man. it excited to do it excited to do it again this year uh and we'll know soon and we'll definitely get you those details as soon as the ink is dry and and we know where and when uh it'll it'll be right here on the channel for sure uh in terms of where we'll be is the only where uh that we're still working out um but looking forward to it and um hope you are all are as well we'll be back uh next week with some other draft related topic i'm sure unless uh all hell breaks loose in the land of the nfl once again when it comes to trades and signings at this point i'm kind of on pins and needles i expect something to happen every single day we've got new ot rules today we didn't even get to talk about it so uh we'll be back next week with um some sort of show I know I'm such a great salesman, EJ, but we'll be back very soon. If they were here, if they're here at the end of two hours of this, they'll be here next week. Yeah, you addicts. (laughs) 